Crime, a Massachusetts true crime podcast. I'm your host, Alex, and a reminder that listener discretion is advised. So today is going to be a fun one because not only are we talking about an abandoned ghost town in the woods that might be haunted, but I have a special guest with me. Do you want to introduce yourself? Oh, hi. My name is Grace. Yes, so I have Grace because I thought it would be fun in general to have her as a guest, but I also know I'd be doing an episode on Dogtown at some point. And she is probably the only person I know who has been there and gone multiple times. Quite a lot. And we did try to go together, but no. <laughs> yeah, we ended up like down a random trail that led to like a puddle, a swamp. Never will my dog lead uh, any kind of hike. Yeah, I mean, we had to turn back. I think you said you'd maybe send me some pictures of things you've seen before. Yeah, I, I've been compiling a, a, a folder of pictures. Oh, awesome. But I definitely want to go back and visit oh, yes. Gloucester again and Dogtown. No, we will definitely go and go on a better, not as wet, not as off-trail hike. And, like, maybe you can confirm this. If you're going to go out and visit the trails at Dogtown, definitely do some research because from what I've heard... It's very easy to get lost. Like, the biggest trail that they have is over six miles. And oh, then, yeah. That's a lot. Like, that's the one we started on. Oh, no. But there's places to cut off so you don't have to go the full six-mile loop. And then there's also multiple entrances, and some of them aren't even marked, but you can go to them even if they're not marked. Like, they are public. Right, you're allowed to walk there. Yeah. Okay. And it's not, like, the safest place in the world, I feel like, to some extent. Yeah. <laughs> That's, like, tough, because, I mean, you do get the occasional, like, remnants from a homeless person, which I'm not saying, like, every homeless person is a bad person or a murderer, but, you know. It's something that you expect on a trail sometimes when you're hiking. Yeah. Gotcha. But we're going to get into, like, the dangers of Dogtown and all of that and the history and the more recent history. So a big resource for this episode is Alyssa East's book. Death and Enchantment in a New England Ghost Town, which Grace let me borrow to read, Grace and her mom, Yes. to read up on the history of Dogtown. So thank you for that. Oh, you're very welcome. We had to order another copy. Just yeah, it went we missing. couldn't find our two copies of the book. Interesting. <laughs> and so when I went into researching this episode, I had no idea about the history of Dogtown, maybe for like a little bit of what you had told me about. But there's actually a lot of interesting stuff. Yeah. And I mean, I didn't, I didn't even know like a whole lot about it. A lot of the times I would go on hikes, like I told you with Howard, my old neighbor, and he would be like the tour guide. Very cool. So you might be able to tell me this. Is it considered a historical landmark? I'm not exactly sure. I know a lot of people will say it is. And I think there's certain parts that are like considered actual historical landmarks, but I don't think the trails as a whole are. Like, do you think someone would ever be able to like develop land or something there? I, I don't think anybody in Gloucester or Rockport would let that happen. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, was that they'd probably be stopped. Yeah. Okay. Well, Dogtown got its name after the end of the Revolutionary War when 335 of Gloucester's women were left widows. And the story goes that a number of them lived in Dogtown and had pet dogs that kept them safe while their husbands were away at war. And this was the beginning of the decline of Dogtown. And it's said that a lot of these dogs ended up forming these wild, feral packs. But there's a lot of stories about Dogtown which sound fictitious to me, but, like, they're also kind of cool. Like, the one of these wild 
packs of dogs roaming the woods together. Yeah. Like, nobody's sure if that's actually true, but you're going to get that story. Like, somebody's going to tell you it like it's true. Right. There's a lot of that in Dogtown history, which is kind of cool. But before it was called Dogtown, it was the common settlement, and it was founded in 1693. And a lot of sources said that the reason that all these Gloucester families moved into the highlands and away from the shore was because of pirates. But in East Book, she said that even though this sounds really cool, it's more historically accurate that the town wanted to settle more land and encourage people to come and boost up agriculture. So they were offering land grants to new settlers to come in and farm this common settlement. But it actually ended up being primarily people who were already Gloucester residents who moved into the farm. And the land itself was really bad for farming. Like, it was not a good idea to farm there. Yeah, no. Like, the, even if you go around now, it's technically an island. There's one bridge in, there's one bridge out. And there's tons of erosion everywhere you look. Right. And I guess what kept happening was there were some areas that were so dangerous and swampy that people would lose cattle to the land. And there was a place called Lamb's Ledge where livestock would fall off it. And there's a lot of reasons why Dogtown ended up becoming abandoned. But I think like it being a place that should eat a farm was a good reason. Yeah. And I mean, the amount of granite just in Gloucester alone, the amount of granite that they pulled to like ship other places and the amount of granite quarries that are left over probably was like a whole nother thing you can't dig like two feet without hitting a bunch of rocks it doesn't seem like a good place to <laughs> to plant things no. <laughs> so the big drama back in the day was that people in the common settlement and in other parts of town wanted to build a new parish because they all thought going to the new first parish near the harbor was too far for them to deal with and everyone was also really concerned about what would happen if they built a new church and everyone's seating assignments would get all messed up, which is kind of funny to me that, like, your seat in church was such a big deal. I didn't even think that was, like, a thing. Yeah, it was, like, a big social thing. Like, you had a seat in church. It meant something. That was, like, that was the thing. That's where you and your family sat. That's, that's weird. People are fucking weird. And part of the issue with this whole thing was that the families in Dogtown technically should have had priority seating in this new church because they were some of the oldest residents of Gloucester who had been there probably since it was settled. And after they built this new church, they wanted people to pay for their pews. And so a lot of these families in Dogtown were poor and they couldn't pay for that because they wanted to pay off the church. That's... Like building it. Don't build it if you can't afford it. There you go. <laughs> even So even though these people should have had the right to sit in certain places, they would have been excluded because of money reasons. But the town had recently left this old parish at the Green, which was a mile closer to the people in the Dogtown settlement. So a man named Abraham Coit who was trying to fight for this closer church, he wanted to split the town up so the Dogtown residents could keep going to the parish at the Green and everybody else would go to the new church. And in 1741, they had Josiah Batchelor, if I'm saying that right, he came to survey Dogtown and see how many residents were there and how bad the walk to the new church actually was. And at that point, 20% of Gloucester's population lived in Dogtown, but this was actually the beginning of the town's decline. Because in 1743, they finally did decide to split the parishes. But what happened was it cut really badly into these people's social lives because, like, your family might be living closer into Gloucester, so they would go to the new church, you'd go to the, the old, old church, church, and you wouldn't, like, see them like yeah. you normally would. So people would start moving back into Gloucester to be closer to their be closer families family and the go new to church. the same church, have that social aspect of it. Exactly. And... Are like are any of these really old churches still around? Probably not that old. There's one that's in Rockport, that's in Pigeon Cove. 
you could probably argue i'm not exactly sure how old it is but it is very tiny it's extremely tiny and the fire department is actually across from it and that is the rickettiest building i think i've seen for any kind of like law enforcement oh and it's like active <laughs> like fire a, department yeah it's like oh, active okay. like you see people in there all the time i've actively seen fire trucks coming out of there and it just doesn't just in shambles it just doesn't look safe well yeah that's kind of like ironic right <laughs> it's very funny so Dogtown had a number of residents who we do actually know the history of, and many of them went off to fight in the Revolutionary War, which sort of put a nail in the coffin of the town. There was Isaac Dade, who was an Englishman who escaped the British Navy and fell for a colonial girl, Fanny Brundle. Oh, Fanny. Yep, and they moved to Gloucester and they lived in Dogtown, where Isaac eventually went to fight for the Constitutional Army, and he was wounded by a saber, but he made a home, and he decided to sell fish, but that was kind of a bad... Oh business because he was in Dogtown trying to sell fish yeah not at the harbor trying to sell yeah. fish so didn't really work and then there was Peter Lurvey he's another name that gets brought up when researching the history because he was killed during what some call the Battle of Gloucester or also the Falcon incident because there was another Battle of Gloucester I guess at some point in time but mm, interesting have you heard of Peter Lurvey or the Falcon mm, incident uh, no well I'm about to tell the you Falcon incident yeah, it sounds kind of cooler than it is. Oh. Well, it's kind of cool. So, I don't think it was really that significant in American history at all, but it's like oh, one of those things that random Gloucester people would be like, yeah, this was a big deal. Well, it's like if you're from West Springfield and you go to the Josiah Day house, like, that was a big field trip. That was like, oh, this was part of the Revolutionary War and this, this, and this. and the, But otherwise, nobody. No one no has one, no ever one heard cares. of it unless you're a big history buff. So, basically, on August 8th, 1775 peter was out huckleberrying as it was as it was put and he got word that a few british ships were in the harbor and the town called in the local militia to help ward them off so british captain john Lindsay had chased a gloucester ship into the harbor with his ship the falcon because he believed that the gloucester ship was carrying goods from the west indies and the people of gloucester really relied on these ships because it was like the revolutionary war the men were away they needed these goods to come in and like Help yeah. them survive. And so Lindsay sent his men over to capture one of the Gloucester ships, and he sent the others to go to town and, like, try and burn the town down. Oh. But here come the men who are farmers, and they have shotguns, and they managed to kill 35 of Lindsay's men. Holy Just this local militia and their shotguns. They were just some really ballsy dudes. I feel like Gloucester has a very, like, proud... Oh, people. Like, it's, it's like kind of the thing where like if you say somebody's from Boston but they're not really from Boston, they're like from the outskirts, they specifically tell you where they are from. Right. People are like, oh, like Rockport, Maine or like Gloucester, like this Gloucester. They're like, no, Gloucester, Massachusetts. How dare you? Like, yeah, there's, there's only one Gloucester. So meanwhile, on the ship that he had captured with his men, Lindsay's men, um, the men on the ship overpowered Lindsay's men and took back control of their ship. And Lindsay tried to fire cannons into the town, and he did He did cause damage to the first parish church, which I don't know if that was the church that they just rebuilt. I don't. I didn't see a connection Ooh. there, but I was kind of interested in that. But he ended up chasing another ship out to sea, thinking it had valuable goods on it, but it was actually just full of sand, and the Gloucester captain was able to evade him. And so he was forced to retreat. Unfortunately, like 10 people died in the skirmish, one of which was Peter Lurvey, Mr. Huckleberry. Oh. And he was killed from, like, one of the cannon oh, no. shells. 
But it's pretty good that all these farmers and ship crew were able yeah. to defeat this British captain and his and his crew. I mean, if, even if you go now and you look at the fishermen or the lobstermen that are there, they're like some beefy, hearty dudes. I believe that. Like, even the skinny ones are pretty, like, they, they could mess you up. Men of the sea. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love that. But on top of wanting to take the ship, it's possible that Lindsay was there looking for sheep from Dogtown, which was a hot commodity, I guess, was stealing oh. the sheep. But this battle, like I said, seems very glossed to me. Like, like these people are really proud of their heritage and the town. And they a lot of them, I think, can trace their lineage, like, really far back. Oh, probably. There's a huge Italian and Portuguese population, but there are so many people there that family's been there for, like, generations. Which is pretty cool. Yeah. So... Once the war ended, though, you were left with all these widows in Dogtown, and it was home to as many of, as 60 of them. And like I said before, this led to everyone renaming the common settlement to Dogtown. And these women, like, weren't well off. They were poor. They would survive off eating berries and making barberry candles to sell to people. Oh. And, yeah, it was bad. And so sometimes they'd go into town and people would, like, take pity on them and give them something to eat. And those who could leave Dogtown did because the roads were opening there was deforestation happening and better farmland was opening up. And after the end of the war, it put an end to the pirate threat. So more ports opened up. Because before that, now I didn't know any of this pirate history. There's a, there's a pirate history? There is. That's... So before the war ended, the Barbary pirates would actually attack American merchant ships for their goods when they sailed through the Mediterranean, which I guess was like a really big problem at the time. Oh, wow. And these were Muslim pirates, and they'd been around for centuries. Oh. So it wasn't just like, we're here now. They they This was a thing for a very long time. Like, you know, like you hear about like privateering and like pirates, but you don't think. It doesn't seem real. It doesn't seem like an actual thing. Or right. like a big deal. I don't think it was as like dramatic as what we yeah. imagine it to be, yeah. but still kind of interesting. And they were, really interesting. they were based out of North Africa, and they were also involved in the slave trade. Ooh. But on December 20th, 1777, the Moroccan Sultan signed an agreement that not only recognized America as its own country, but that would keep them safe from the Barbary pirates. And so that they were the first nation to recognize America as their own independent country or nation. Wow. And in 1784, a Moroccan vessel seized an American one, and according to Wikipedia, this threat was the reason why the U.S. created the Navy. Mm. Don't hate on Wikipedia. <laughs> I mean, I don't hate on Wikipedia. I do go to Wikipedia for quite a bit. Right, but everyone just... does. You know what? When you're in middle school, everyone says, don't trust Wikipedia, yeah. but I don't believe that. People put time into those articles. Yeah, it's real. I just thought that, like, that's a very that's interesting really... fact. If it is true, that's crazy. Right? So, even though Dogtown was beginning to decline, it did have a final little spot in history. So, two of the original inhabitants... Nathaniel Day and his wife, Mary Davis, they oh, had... Oh, I love this story. Oh, they had 17 children, two sets of twins. Mm -hmm. That's like a... I just can't even fathom all that. But I mean, they're just 17 children, period. Yeah, not yeah. even twins. Mm -hmm. And you're living in Dogtown. Yeah, no. Kind of rough out there. <laughs> no, thank you. But their son, Isaac, became a gunner on the USS Constitution, which was built in 1797, and not only battled against these pirates, but played a big part in the War of 1812. Yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. It's very cool. Like, that was one of the little tidbits Howard was very excited to tell us when we went on our hike. Yeah, I feel like it, Howard, he, he was the guy. He was the guy. Like, literally, he had a map that he had marked every single boulder with, like, the numbers on them, which you'll talk about later. But, like, he would tell you the specific family that lived there, 
their whole history. Wow. And if, like, there's people still around. Cool. That was very cool. And the other thing that kind of happened was during the War of 1812, there was this really big raid on William Pierce's sheep, and he lived in Dogtown. And in June of 1814, British troops came to steal a sheep, and nothing really happened. What's up with the sheep? Just some sheep died. I don't What's know. What's up with the sheep? Like, Probably I... just for food. But, like, you, you mentioned know. the thing about the sheeps being a hot commodity out yeah. of Dogtown. D- damn, how many sheep were there? I guess this... Uh, he had a pretty big property, I think. So he oh, had a, a big... Okay. I mean, unless they're all jumping off a lamb's ledge. I don't know. I don't know. So by this time, after the War of 1812 and like 1814, there were only six of the original 80 houses still standing. And the homes in Dogtown were crumbling around their inhabitants. And it became home to lone women, freed slaves, and rowdy ship crews. And though it was possibly the lowest point in the town's history, it's also kind of the most interesting to me because this was when it was home to the witches. Yeah. And I love a good witch story. It's what, that's when it gets real funny. Right. And I actually had no idea that Gloucester had this, like, history with witches. But I guess it makes sense because it's an early settlement like Salem was. And they're yeah. really not far from each other. No, they're not. Like, a train ride's not even, 40, like, 45 minutes. Nice. It's it's pretty close. And then, But you also have to think of, like, wild packs of dogs. Like, people are freaking out about that. It's, like, decaying anyway. So these people that are already outcasts on the outskirts of Gloucester by the harbors and everything, they're going to try and go where there's not a lot of people around. To their own little, like, Island of Misfit toys. Yeah. (laughs) So you also have some sadder stories from this time, too. Like that of Abram Wharf, who lived in Dogtown for 70 years, but when he saw that the settlement was starting to decline, he crawled under a boulder and slit his own throat. I didn't... Holy moly. He was one of two people that committed suicide in Dogtown. So the other one was Jack Bishop Smith, who also committed suicide. I don't know how he how he did that. That's so sad. And he was the son of Rachel Smith, who could have been considered one of Dogtown witches. She concocted her own dire drink, which was like a botanical blend, and she would go to people's houses to sell this. And this is what the quote of her, what she would say to people. Oh, no. Now, Ducky, I've come to bring a dire drink, for I know you feel springish. Now, Ducky... Right? I'll come to bring you a dire drink. I love it. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. It, the, the ducky part's pretty funny. Yeah, like, okay. And this was made of spruce tops and foxberry leaves and other medicinal plants that grew all over the area. Ooh. Which probably still do today. I mean, yeah. who knows? And these ladies, they knew that, like, certain plants could help with certain issues. And it was, like, very witchy, but they were probably effective, too. Like, oh... Sip sip on this tea and I'll get rid of your gout. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know if it's getting rid of gout. But... Well, <laughs> hopefully. And, like, it's kind of romantic in a way. Like, imagine these women, like, mixing their potions and, like, their crumbling homes. But it also, yeah. like, wasn't in reality probably romantic at all. It's probably very sad. Yeah. They probably got, very like, a pack cold of dogs and sad. with them that they're, like, there's one chewing on bone in the corner. It's, like, dirty. Them. Everyone's... Yeah. The teeth upon all their head. Yeah. Well, I mean, that was everybody anyway. They're crushing herbs and, like, eating a eating a porridge that they've watered yeah, down for three on, days. Sucking on rocks for, like... It's a lot. Wa- mm. Yeah. Well, that's sad. Like, it's definitely not as magical as I want it to be. <laughs> it's magical now. Yeah. A little bit. And so, Rachel Smith's mother was Becky Granny Rich, and she was said to make her own dire drink. Oh, no. And she would tell fortunes, but they were usually a little too optimistic and not, like, very reliable. Um. And she would read coffee grounds, too. That's interesting. Yeah. 
Not tea leaves, coffee grounds. Coffee grounds. That's really interesting. Well, she seemed a little bit uh, not reliable, so maybe mm. they weren't good coffee ground readings. Mm. Probably not. No. So another one of the Dogtown witches was Luce George and her niece, Thomasine Tammy oh, Younger. This is the other story I love so much. You might even know more about her than what I have. So she was called the Queen of the Witches, Tammy Younger. And her aunt, Luce, she would threaten to cast spells on people, but it was Tammy who really made it into history. And she would make and sell butter to make a living, which, cool, good for her. Yeah. I don't know if I'd want to buy her butter from Dogtown, yeah, to be honest. I, I would be a little scared. Right, but she would heckle anyone that tried to pass by her house and, like, convince them to, like, give her shit. That's really funny. Like, give me your fish. Oh. It was almost like a, like, what is the ogre that lives under the bridge and you can't cross? Oh, yeah, the, the That's the what it reminded me. The troll. And you have to answer its riddle or whatever. That's what it reminded me of. There's one specific cellar hole that you can find that has a well in it, and then if you find that one when you're on one of the trails, you're pretty close to their house. Cool. If I can remember the trail, maybe we can attempt. Maybe we can try and find Tammy Younger's house <laughs> yeah. and try and talk to her spirit. Maybe she'll heckle us. Maybe she will. So she had such a reputation that when she died in 1829, John Hodgkins made her coffin, but it scared his family so much just being in his home oh. that he had to wrap it in a quilt and take it out of his house in the pouring rain and bring it to his shop because they were convinced her spirit was in the house because of the coffin. Oh, probably. She was like, what the fuck are you doing messing with my coffin? Right. Like, I just want to die in peace. One last gag. Yeah, I get that, that too. <laughs> One last trick. So another witch, though I'm not sure she actually lived in Dogtown, was Peg Wesson. Nope. This is this one's my favorite of the stories. Okay. I don't know if she if she lived in Dogtown. I'm though. excited. So she allegedly could fly in a broom. I love that. And the legend has it that oh she flew over a group of soldiers disguised as a crow, and they kept trying to shoot the crow, but they kept missing. And so, at the time, it was believed that witches were susceptible to silver. It could hurt them. Oh, yeah, yeah. So yeah. they put a silver button to their musket, let's say, shot at the crow, hit the crow, and the crow fell. And at the same time, she collapsed, oh my went God. to the doctor, and he pulled a silver button out of her leg. Holy Right. I love that. Oh, I got chills. Oh, I like that one. Isn't that cool? And I mean, probably not true, but like another That's... really cool Gloucester story that I feel like a lot of people would probably like believe it to some extent. Because you love the, like those little local legends yeah. are the best. They're always really good. You can find a lot out there. I mean, you can find a lot anywhere, like in Boston, Salem, but you look around Gloucester and you read some stuff, you can find a lot. Yeah, Gloucester's a funky town. It's a grand old <laughs> Yeah, it's cool. It's very cool. So, another witch was Judy Rhines, and in East's book, apparently, people tried to clear up her name after she died because they said she was just really courageous and outspoken, which unnerved people because she was a woman. Well, yeah, because fuck women, right? And so this was, like, the issue with a lot of these women, I think, because they existed on the edge of society, like you said, yeah. and they, like, dressed in men's clothing, and they didn't adhere to the same rules that other women who lived in town did. And there's a chance that some of them might have been involved in, like, sex work, although I don't think that's fully proven. But I feel like that's very, like, of the time to lump together witchcraft yeah. and prostitution. Well, you could probably definitely find people that were doing that to make a living. Right. And there's going to be somebody that pays. Right. Like, these ladies were, like, they're just trying to survive. Yeah. And they're making their candles and yeah. trying to sell their candles. And, 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 their, and their drinks. And their dire drinks. And... I just think they were labeled not only as witches, but prostitutes, even though they probably, they might not have yeah. been subscribed to either one of those things. Yep. 
And in reality, you have these people in Gloucester who are buying these, like, potions these women yeah. are making because they're like, oh, we need her well, special drink. Like, with anything, it, like, that time, they're gonna denounce, like, all that stuff or, like, talk mm-hmm. shit about it. But at the same time, if they think it's gonna work... Yeah, to behind like, closed doors. Yeah, if they think it's gonna work to help something, they're gonna try it. Right. And so, it was not only witches who lived in Dogtown, but some other interesting characters, too. So, there was Sammy Stanley, who was born a male... But he was raised as female by his grandmother, Molly Jacobs, and Sarah Phipps Jacobs. And the town constable eventually made the three women go to poorhouse because their house was so gross Uh and decrepit. And Sammy became a local washerwoman, and he was also known as Sam Maskey. What's a a washerwoman? A woman who washes clothes, I believe. That's it? And then just a washer? I don't know. I'm not 100% sure. That's fine. I'm just a washerwoman. And, yeah, and I can only imagine, like, I've seen in other podcasts I've done, like, what it does to someone to be raised as, oh, like, yeah. not willingly as a different gender. Yeah. So maybe Sammy well, might not he, have been doing well. There's that one case where that freaking family raised their son as a girl and then, like, actually cut off his genitalia without his oh, consent. Lord Jesus. And then when he was older and then was actually wanting to present male he had to go back through like a whole surgical process yeah wow well hopefully hopefully sammy didn't that didn't happen to sammy i hope not so like old ruth she was another one she she was a freed slave and she was known to wear men's clothing and also went by the name john woodman a lot of people had two names love that and she was really strong and she could build a really good stone wall i love strong women yeah i love strong women yeah Old Ruth. Love that for her. Right? Now, the last resident to ever live in Dogtown was another freed slave named Cornelius Finson. He lived first in Molly Jacobs' basement where he thought there was some kind of treasure buried, which some people claimed could have been the treasure of the pirate captain William Kidd, and his treasure is said to, like, be all over the place, like, all over the East Coast. I was going to say, I I think I heard about that. That's, like, one of the things, like, oh, there's treasure supposedly buried in Dogtown. I mean, probably not, but another one of those fun little legends. And then he later moved to Judy Ryan's basement after she left and moved back into Gloucester because her house had just fallen into such disrepair. So he was found by a constable in the winter of 1839, nearly frozen to death, and his feet were so badly frostbitten he couldn't walk. And so the constable, like, got him out of Dogtown, and he died a week later. Oh, God, that poor man. Yeah, and, and ever since then, like, well... To our knowledge, no one has ever lived in Dogtown. Hmm. At least not permanently. Yeah. I'm sure people have hunkered down there yeah. from time to time. Or, yeah. So this is the beginning of Dogtown's reputation as a ghost town, and it's, like, still considered to be haunted, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, you're going to get everybody that says it's not haunted. It's just hiking trails and an old town. With all this stuff that happened there, and it's right. gotta be at least a little. Well, that's what I was gonna say was like with all this like past and history and bad things happening, yeah. like there has to be some kind of energy left behind. Not that we're gonna get into like the ghost talk, yeah. but like that could be a whole thing. That could be a whole thing, but I feel like there could be something. Because there's some there. that you get like just how I mean it wasn't lo- like this right after it started decaying but now it's so overgrown you get to parts and it's just so quiet and so unsettling mm. that it just kind of makes you wonder if there's yeah. somebody watching you from behind something a feels tree. creepy 
Well, I guess that there's been reports of a large black cat roaming the place, distant cackling that people have heard, women dressed in black. In the 1980s, there was a large dog-like animal spotted and deer had been found mauled in the woods. Yeah, so I mean, you, you think that there could be something in there. Now, there's also like rumors of people like devil worshippers, like making satanic sacrifices, which I feel like a lot of stories like that yeah, have it in there. Any place that's like an old town in the woods or if there's like an old building in the woods or something, you're going to get stories of like satanic worship and everything and, or people like using it for quote unquote satanic worship. Right. I, I feel like that's like super normal. It's par for the course. It's like part of like this creepy stories of, yeah. of, a, of a place. Not that, you know, you're, you're coming across, oh, yeah. here's a, a altar with a dead headless yeah. chicken on it. Like, I mean, you can find tons of, like, spots where kids would walk out and party and stuff nowadays. Beer so cans pretty, and fires. Yep, basically. That's fair. So, there's a lot of people who visited and had been enamored with Dogtown over the years, like Mr. Nature himself, Henry David Thoreau. Oh. Painter Marson Hartley, who did a series of oil paintings on the town because he was so obsessed with it. <laughs> there was Charles Olson, who was a poet, and he wrote an entire volume of poetry about Dogtown. Oh, wow. But the most impactful person who's ever been infatuated with the town is definitely Roger Babson. Yep. That's kind of like, there's no question about that. Yeah, no. One thing that's like synonymous with Dogtown is, is Babson. Babson. And he had ancestors who were, lived in Dogtown. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. So he was born in 1875, and he was a wealthy entrepreneur, economist, and business theorist who he lived in Gloucester, and he founded three colleges, which you told me, yep. Babson College and Wes Wesley. Wes yeah, Wesley. Is that how you say Wesley. That? Yeah. It's like one of those, like, how do you pronounce it's one Massachusetts Mass towns? Yeah. You're probably going to go there and get a completely different thing, and there's probably going to be people like, that's very wrong, that well, pronunciation. It's like when you get people that say, like, Peabody. Yeah. And be like, Peabody is Peabody, but it doesn't look like that. I mean, Worcester is, Worcester, yeah. Gloucester are challenging. Yeah. Pretty much half the towns in Massachusetts, no one knows. <laughs> so Babson College, Weber College in Babson Park, Florida, and Utopia College in Eureka, Kansas, which closed in 1970. And he also kind of helped invent the parking meter. Like, he developed patents for it, but oh. he wasn't the one that actually made it. It was Carl McGee, so he gets the credit for inventing it. Oh, but he, like, kind of started the idea. He's like, mm, we should tax these people for parking. We shouldn't have these people pay. Well, he was an economist, so maybe he thought uh, it was good know. business. There you go. And also, I don't know if you know this, his first wife's name was Grace. Oh, no, I did not know that. Yeah. Oh, I, was, I was waiting to give that one to you. <laughs> I wanted to tell you earlier today. I'm like, no, I gotta wait. <laughs> your your face was a little too excited. It's yeah, not even good. <laughs> Just his same name as you, his I, first wife. You're gonna find a lot of women named Grace back in those days. Yeah, that's fair. So he actually ran for president in 1940 on the prohibition ticket and oh, against think... FDR. Yep. He came in fourth. Oh, well, I mean, fourth is pretty good. I don't know how many people were running. It might have been four. Then that's pretty bad. Yeah. At least not fifth. Still kind of cool, though. That is cool. So he bought up a significant portion of Dogtown and he embarked on this project to research the history of those who lived there. And he's the one you can thank for those numbers on the rocks, on the remaining cellar holes. And I'm guessing that there's, like, a guide somewhere you can look up that has the numbers and who lived where. Yeah, there's a book you can buy. It's just, like, a tiny little book, and it's not super, like, thick, not a crazy number of pages. And then you can also just look it up. There's a website somebody created where you can go through each trail, and it'll show you what's on each trail. Cool. 
we saw like a couple of them when we went on our walk, but yeah. So many of that is so overgrown that like I'm surprised people don't maintain yeah. all that better. Well, it's almost like it's almost like a like an eye spy kind of thing. Like you got to pick them out. I don't want a tick. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want a tick on me. No. But no, there's I want to some... go look at a some pile of rocks, you know? The, I mean, the majority of them are on the path. It's just you got to maybe look behind a bush. Or, yeah. like, look really close to the ground. Like, some of them are on huge boulders. Other, others are on, like, smaller rocks. Right. And I feel like he was just trying to preserve some history. Yeah. And people were kind of pissed at the time because they were like, you're destroying something. Like, you're defacing this place. But now I feel like this is, like, one of the most biggest draws of going to Dogtown is like all yeah. the stuff he carved on boulders like the there's all of the like sayings to live by or the words to live by there's the numbers and it's like you got to imagine if he didn't do any of that stuff would we know would it be that interesting would it be that interesting would anybody really know the history yeah there yeah. would be those people that like you know would do their research nowadays but you got to think would they be able to pick out those specific locations right it's way more accessible yeah. Then if he didn't do that. Yes. So he hired a bunch of out of work finished stone cutters to carve them everything into the the boulders. Oh. And so there's 24 of these like little mottos. And so yeah. they are courage, ideas, help mother, kindness, loyalty, be on time, get a job, industry, initiative, integrity, keep out of debt, save, spiritual power, study, truth, work. Be clean, be true, prosperity follows service, use your head, ideas, intelligence, never try slash never win, and finally, if work stops, values decay. Some of these are like, like kind of creepy, like when you come across them in the woods. Some of them are a little like, hmm, wouldn't have thought of that, but okay. And have you ever seen all of them? Yes. Oh, I, you have? I okay. have seen all of them. We, I think at least... Anytime Howard and Sibby came out in their camper and they would stay for a weekend, we would go on at least two trails. Cool. So that was probably over the span of three years. I don't have pictures of all of them, but I've definitely seen all of them. Wait, and they're very big. Yeah. You can't... The word ones, those you cannot miss. Because they're huge. They're huge. And then also people have, like, cleared little bits around it. Okay. So Babson eventually sold his land back to Gloucester for a dollar. Because the city was having problems with water shortage. And so he also made the city buy 650 acres of land in Dogtown with the agreement that they would keep the place natural for people to be able to walk. And after all this, they were able to build a reservoir to help fix the water problem. Yep, the reservoir is completely paved around and a lot of people just go like to run run it or like take their dogs for a walk. But there's two trails that branch off of the reservoir to walk on that lead into more into Dogtown. And you can find two boulders at the reservoir. So a lot of people over the years were like really adamant about letting nature take over and keep the natural beauty of Dogtown. Mm -hmm. But like, I really think that like a, like a trail cleanup would be nice in some spots. Yeah. There's some trails where you're like, mm. like the one we went on. Yeah. A little wild a little bit. Yeah. Like you do get trails that are super wide and easy to walk on, but then you do get the occasional ones that are like, is this actually a trail or am I going in the completely wrong direction? And it's kind of funny that like you have people who are really into like letting nature be nature. Mm -hmm. But then when the whale's jaw rock broke, they had all these like, oh, yeah. everybody wanted to try and fix it. And yeah. it's like, you're not gonna be able to fix it. Yeah. 
And I'm going to post a picture of this thing on my website, wickedxcrime.wordpress.com. Wickedxcrime.wordpress.com. There we go. I got it out. Wickedxcrime.wordpress.com. There you go. Yeah, look at it. Say it three times. Someone will look at it one day. No, people do. I look at it. Thank you. I have a lot. I put a lot of work in those blog posts. I really like them. Thank you. If I can't listen to an episode, I look at it. That's very kind. I, yeah. I Thank try you. my best. Well, I'm going to put a picture, though, because it's really, it really does look like a whale's mouth, like, the, before it broke, yeah. coming out of the ground. It's insane. Like, the pictures you can find, and then when you actually see it in person, it's huge. Yeah. It's really big. You've seen a lot of Dogtown. I've seen probably all of Dogtown. There's very few trails I haven't been on. Well, there's, like, so that's one of the famous rocks, and there's also Peter's Pulpit. Yep. I remember reading about that too. I think that was one of the first ones we see we saw. Like we went out to actually find. So the last bit of Dogtown history is some of the darker stuff, and that is with the murder of thirty nine year old school teacher Ann Natty in nineteen eighty four. And I I know you're not a Gloucester native, yeah. But is her murder something you think people still talk about or care about? There's probably people that definitely still like talk about it. I mean, you got to think of like. Lisa Ziegert and Agawam. That's what I was going to say, is, like, even, like, Danny Croto, like, there's people who... There's people that still talk about it, but that it's, like, the people not everybody. that live around there. The people that right. have been there for that long. So right. So, there's definitely people that would know about it. The thing that's, like, really upsetting about her murder is not only the brutality of it, because it was bad. I only knew she was murdered. I never actually, like, looked into the story, so I'm... Oh, God, well, I'm you're, not prepared for this. Well, you're about to learn. Oh, no. So, it was, like, completely random, like, between two strangers. Like... Mm. The guy that killed her didn't know her. It was just, like, a random moment in time, which is very... That's kind of, like, the scariest kind of killing because if it's premeditated or you have a certain type or you're going after someone you hate, that's one thing. But, oh, I'm just going to kill a random person. I don't know. Oh, I just feel like murdering somebody. That's fine. So, on June 25th, 1984, Anne had planned to meet up with her friend Linda Ryan that morning, and she was going to meet her after she walked through Dogtown. She's going to walk to Linda's house. And this was very normal for her. She walked there all the time. She took her puppy, Woofer, into the woods. Woofer? Yeah. I think he was a German Shepherd mix. No. He was fine. Okay. Woofer's fine. Okay. Woofer's not the okay. Not the problem in the story. So, she didn't show up at Linda's at the expected time. And so, Linda was kind of getting worried. And she had every right to be worried because when Anne was walking in the woods, someone approached her from behind and bludgeoned the back of her head with a rock and it fractured her skull. And made her collapse on the ground. And, like, that didn't kill her. It was just, oh it was a, it was bad. But she was still alive. And her dog had been, like, running around. So he wasn't with her when this happened. And her attacker then hit her in the face with the rock. And it broke her jaw. And that's what, like, the oh final blow God. to her head killed her. And so I guess he dug around in her pockets to look for money. He stripped her naked. He considered raping her. I don't believe he actually did. Oh and he tied her rain pants around her neck to pull her deeper into the woods to hide her body because it was almost like he freaked out and was like, I have to hide her. And then he sped off on a motorbike to leave the scene. Oh, God. So Linda raised the alarm with Anne's brother-in-law, John Tuck, and his wife, Isabel Natty, who was the sister of Anne's husband, Eric. They checked the quarry to see if maybe she went a different way and, like, fell in and got hurt. <sighs> she wasn't there. So they got Eric out of work to, like, join the search, and he found her naked in the woods, her face pushed into the mud. And it had been hours since her attack, so, like, she was, there was no way you're going to help her at that point. Oh, God. Yeah. And once police arrived, they had a pretty good idea who might have been responsible because there was really only 
one person who had a big history of assault and like indecent exposure in front of women and specifically in the woods. Oh. And they wanted to find him as quickly as possible. And he, that person was Peter C. Hodgkins Jr., who I believe is possibly related to John Hodgkins, who crafted Tammy the Younger's coffin. Oh my God. I feel like you probably Ooh. see a lot of the same names, I was like gonna historically. Say, yeah. You're, you're gonna, but Hodgkins sounds very familiar. So he was like a very troubled kid, and it was believed that he had some like developmental delays. He was held back in the first grade, and he was possibly molested at age six or seven by an 11-year-old boy. And he had a history of telling tall tales about himself all the time. He was constantly lying. And when he was working in a fish processing plant in 1978, he was fired because he tried putting nuts and bolts inside the fish. Well, that... Probably a good reason to let him go. Yeah. So it's like, Mm. obviously he's not Mm. mentally well. And it kind of reminds me of Haddon Clark's behavior. And if you haven't listened to that episode, it's a few back. It's worth it. But, like, it just reminds me of him and just just kind of, like, the the weird stuff he would do. And yeah. just the personality is kind of similar to me. Like, just, oh, here's this weird guy in town. Yeah. That, that oh, everybody knows he's odd. Yeah. And there was a lot of weird people around Gloucester at the time. And everyone thought they were, like, harmless, but, like... Not not Peter Hodgkins. So he had gotten into a lot of trouble for assault and exposure. It started in 1972 when he got in trouble for bothering a woman and he got charged with disturbing the peace. Then in 1975, he exposed himself to a woman on a bicycle and pushed her down. In 1977, he grabbed a female and then just ran off, but he came back to masturbate in front of her. Hate that. In 1979, he got charged with two counts of indecent exposure for public masturbation, and he, like, knew he wasn't okay. He went to court, or he went in front of a judge, and he was like, I know I need help. I did this. Please help me. And he always admitted to what he'd done, and so you have to give him credit for at least kind of being aware. In April of 1980, Linda Crane, she was getting some spring water in Dogtown with her dog, Ghost Dog. Ghost dog. Yep. That's a name. And Peter approached her holding his erect penis at her and he said, you know. it's not funny, but it's a little funny. Just how it all, just envisioning yeah. it all. Oh God. And he said, if you scream, I'll kill you. And he pushed her to the ground, but Linda beat him with a stick and her dog came back and attacked him. Loves that. And so he ran off and the police said, could you ID him? And she said, maybe not by his face. But by his penis because it was so massive. Oh, no. I fucking hate that. Like, I've never hated anything I've heard more about a criminal's oh, history. Like, I, I've never... Oh, God. But in the end, um, she... I love that she beat him. In the end, she... I beat him by his face. Okay, thank God. Jesus, Mary and Joseph. Can you imagine that? A lineup where... Number one, okay, everyone, please, drop your pants. Please pull down your pants. Okay, number two, please pull down your pants. Okay. But, like, two. you also need to... Yeah. Maybe be yeah, aroused, have, be aroused yeah, to have, give a proper nice, identification. We have a nice sexy video on the, the oh screen my God. for lads. Ooh, anyway, so it makes sense why he was like the prime suspect in Anne's murder. And he was also known like for disappearing into Dogtown and like he loved being in the woods. I mean, that I understand. Just walking around Dogtown is a great, a great time. Walking in the woods is a great time. So, he claimed that he wasn't in the woods at the time of the murder, 
And he'd been at the home of one of his friends whose motorbike he was borrowing, that he was riding around when Anne was killed. But the friend kind of accidentally ratted him out because he didn't want to lie to police. And so he told him that he hadn't seen Peter for a large portion of the day. And the police took the bike to check for evidence. You know, anytime, like, you you hear about somebody saying, oh, I was with this person and this person, like, and they go to that person and they, they're like, oh, yeah, they were. What What is going through your head? You're going to get in trouble. Right? So this guy was like, yeah, I'm not going to lie. Yeah. The smart dude. Yeah. And so once this happened, Peter freaked out and he vanished and no one could find him. But police were determined to get him in for questioning. So four days after Anne's murder, while the whole police force was looking for him, Peter just walked right into the station to confess. And he was in the same clothes he had on the day she was murdered. Oh, no. They believed he had been hiding out in the woods the whole time and he was, like, offensively smelly. Oh. Yeah. Well, mm. So he also waived his right to an attorney. So he kind of made it sound like he was in a daze when he attacked her, like... He even said that her clothes just slid off her body, but, like, obviously they didn't just no. slide off her body. And it seems like he was kind of feeling guilty, though, because he even said, I know how I feel, but what if she had a husband and kids? How do they feel? So I think it, it might, like, he had a lot of issues, so maybe it was just one of those things that he didn't get it yeah. until after he did it. it it's, it's so hard because... Yeah. You want to be like, oh, at least he turned himself in. Oh, at least he did. But at, at the same time, he... Someone's still dead. He killed somebody. Right. No matter if they have a husband, wife, children, whatever. And so they got his clothing and they tested it for blood and it was all over his clothing. And it was on his hands. They tested those too. And in 1984, there was a good chance that they were just looking for a match to Anne's blood type because there was no DNA testing yeah. yet. So they found blood and hair in the bike, which they believed also matched Anne. And they took him out to Dogtown with a camera and recorded him as he brought them to the crime scene and explained what he did and even pointed out the rock he used. And they took the rock and they sent it to the FBI and they told the FBI, like, hey, can you find blood on this? Because we can't. No blood found on it. So either it was wrong the wrong rock. rock or who knows. Yeah. Lots of rain? Right? I don't know. So the police were hoping for a first degree murder charge because they figured that he claimed to have followed Anne into the woods, which meant it was premeditated. But, like, that's a little bit of a stretch to me unless he had planned to do this a little bit farther in advance. Yeah, I mean, he could be like, oh, I'm just going to follow around the woods. I'm just going to be weird and shake my shake my jigger at her, you know? Yeah, who knows what was going to happen. But he kind of made it sound like he just wanted to see if she had money and then it escalated. His defense wanted to try and determine if he was mentally unsound or, like, unable to realize what he'd done. And basically just see if they could get him ruled guilty by reason of insanity. Mm. And he was examined at Bridgewater State Hospital by a psychiatric doctor who basically just said that he lied a lot and his brain was kind of like the brain that schizophrenic people have in the, in the right lobe. But at the end of the day, he said that he was mentally competent and he knew what he was doing, which I, I'm like not defending him. But I feel like it's a little bit unfair because he very well could have been schizophrenic. Because, I mean, who, they, mental health resources in those Back then, no. days, non-existent, especially for, like, no, just in general. In general, period, end of story. And he even said at times he had a girlfriend, but, like, no one even was sure she existed. 
But yeah. he also lied a lot, so it's like, yeah. he lied about being in Vietnam, and he wasn't really in Vietnam. I think he went AWOL, actually. So there's just a lot of things that didn't add up with him. He ended up getting charged with first-degree murder and given a life sentence, and while the jury was deliberating on the verdict, he went to the bathroom and tried to slit his throat. Well, he did slit his throat and his wrist with the razor that he'd been hiding. Oh. And police had to, like, break in and stop him, and they patched him up. And this was the third time he tried to kill himself after he admitted to killing her. Oh, my God. So, Anne's family got a stone plaque made, which you've probably seen. It's on the entrance of one of her favorite trails, and it reads, Anne's path, her last breath was loving the scent of pine. I'm not sure where it is, but I'm sure you've probably wandered by it before. Meanwhile, Peter remained in jail for the rest of his life, and who knows if he's getting help for his mental health issues. So Probably not. So most of the info from this came from East's book that you let me borrow. Mm -hmm. And in the book, she actually went and visited Peter in jail. Oh, my. Oh. Yeah. And that was kind of normal, but he later sent her a letter, and the letter was, like, strange. So this is what, uh, here's, here's a quote from the letter that he sent her. Something calls to me. The trees are calling me near. I have to find out why. The gentle voices I hear draw me to going to the woods. I would hear the elders of the trees speaking to me. Strange, but that is how I connect myself to the woods. One has to believe in the forces. And some was from a Moody Blues song, but like, come on. But still. That's a lot. Uh, Yeah. Mm. So I'm thinking he's not well. No. Maybe he never was well. Probably not at all. Ever. At any time. But I guess, and this is something that I feel like she kind of asks in the book too, is like, does Dogtown have, like, a hold over some people? Like, is it this, like, haunting and infatuating and magical place? You don't... You seem okay. I mean, I You've think... You've been I'm, in and out. I, yeah, I think I'm fine. Yeah. But you gotta imagine there's gonna be people that get up, obsessed with a place. That really wanna get into a place. There's all kinds of weird nature people. Like, not... You know, nature's wonderful and everything, but there's, like, weird nature people. There's probably people that, like, fully hike barefoot. And just spend a little too much time. Like Peter Hodgkins. Yeah. Yep. So, that's our episode. That's you, all I got. You know, I'm surprised. There's one thing I'm surprised you didn't talk about. Oh my god, please tell me. Uh, there's a boulder you can find that's off trail. It's one trail that you're definitely, you find it and you're like, mm, this isn't a trail. But if you keep going, you come to this little clearing and there's a boulder that supposedly marks the spot where this man fought a boar. I did read about that. His name's like James Mary or something. Yeah, and then the boar killed him. Okay. And that's like where he died. Because I know he was like 60 years old and he wanted to be a matador. Yes. He like really, really wanted to fight a bull. But he just like walked off into the woods and was like, mm, I'm going to find an animal. And then so there's like a whole boulder that like with markings on it that mark where he died and there's like a this... plaque or something or yeah. carving on it yep fighting this uh like boar yeah what... see and i like i forgot I've to seen that put one. that into the you've seen most things in yeah Dogtown. i've seen a lot of things like it's i very it's cool. one of the cellar holes you can find that's near the um aunt and niece's house in that cellar hole, I found a, a trash bag one day, and we were like, mm, who's going to open the trash bag? Yeah, scary. And I think I think my mom was like, mm, I'm just going to do it. It's fine. I'm going to do it. So she takes a stick and she opens the trash bag, and there's a hacksaw in the trash bag. 
Well, at least there wasn't an arm or something. No, but then further down the path, we found a shovel. Hmm. Who was so, digging? Yeah. Who was digging and what were they sawing? Maybe they were looking, just to be really lighthearted, for Captain Kidd's treasure. I mean, I really hope they were looking for some treasure. And not burying something yeah, or I someone. Really, I really hope they weren't. Oh, it's a wonderful spot for geocaching, too. Very off I've, I've read that, too. I don't know much about geocaching, but it's fascinating. It's it's a crazy ride for geocaching. Like, some of them are really hidden. Like, cool. very, very hidden. Nice. Well, we're definitely going to go back. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I'm going to see more things. And I'm even more interested now because when we initially went, I purposely was like, I don't really want to know anything yet because I hadn't started researching. Because yeah. I was working on, like, I was back a few episodes when we went. And, but, like, now I feel like I know a lot more and it would be cool to see It's a little bit more interesting when you know. Right. I don't want to go on a six-mile hike, though. I'll tell you that right now. No, we don't have to go on a six-mile hike. Absolutely not. You know what we can do? We can go to the reservoir because there's two boulders there that you can find. And the reservoir has been really low. And one of them, when they built the reservoir, actually was partially underneath. So you couldn't see the number. But now that the water's so low, you can walk out and see uh, the boulder with, I think it's 25 on there like there's 24 and 25 and then that's i think around the reservoir is like two miles maybe yeah yeah just six is just but then you can go a commitment yeah like i said the six mile hike there's little spots where you can turn around and everything but you it's honestly so cool because you can find full-on roads that are still marked off by walls and right. there's this one spot that's absolutely beautiful and it's this huge stone wall and it's still like really flat on top and then you can just walk on it and then it kind of goes like somebody almost made stairs at the end of it and then it's just all these really tall trees and it's so quiet and it's so pretty and then I think not too far up that path there's this little swampy area that has this these boards that somebody just put down it's not even like a bridge or anything it's just random boards that you can walk on so you can walk through all these reeds and everything it's really cool it's really pretty no it's a there's a lot there's a lot and you got to be prepared yeah well maybe if i'm feeling particularly springish after drinking my dire drink we can try the six mile hike oh god i don't even know if i could do a six mile anymore well yeah well thank you for being my special guest thank you for having me any final thoughts? You've, like, brought some new stuff to my attention. I love that. Which I'm very, like, I'm going to go tell Howard, and we're probably going to have to plan another hike. And I really hope one day we can get, like, you guys there at the same time. Howard's, uh, he is a teacher. He's the robotics teacher, and he's the physics teacher. He used to be the physics teacher at West Springfield. But this dude knows so much about history and, cool. like, he will research, like, if he's going someplace, he will research that place and tell you all kinds of stuff about it. Nice. Love that. It's just, it's grand old time. Cool. Well, if anyone wants to check out the sources that I have, you can check them out on the website, wickedxcrime.wordpress.com. Wickedxcrime.wordpress.com. Yep. And I do recommend checking out the book that Grace Let Me Borrow by Alyssa East because it's mm-hmm. packed full of info. Way more than what I've said today. And it's very detailed on Anne Natty's case. So I'll post a link for that too. You can find me on Twitter at WickedX... Oh, nope. That's not my Twitter. My Twitter Twitter. is Wicked underscore crime. 
My Instagram is Wicked X Crime, and you can find me on Facebook if you search Wicked Crime. So this might be the last episode of the season, oh, possibly. Um, I might do another if I have time for it. Please do. This is a lot of pressure. This is the last episode. Oh, please. I feel like there's more stuff I need to talk about. Absolutely like, not. You are we. You are so good. But like, I just want to thank everyone for listening and supporting the podcast. It's it's really cool. And I was thinking of having Grace help me make Wicked Crime stickers to give out to oh, people of the logo. Yeah. And I haven't told you that yet, but like, oh yeah, no, you, you didn't even have to tell me that. Like, you didn't even have to say anything before this. This, I, I yeah, because you know how to do things like that. I don't. Yeah. So, I can help you. Nothing crazy. I just want to see, like, oh, we can make a sticker and see how it yeah. looks, see if it comes out cool. I would love that. But either way, it's been a really cool season, and I have plenty of ideas still for season four. And I have other friends who want to be guest I'll come hosts. Back. Grace will come back. I'll come back. Just, I'll teach her more things. Just let me know. So if you like this podcast, you can review it. You can tell your friends. Or just, like, come and like the post on Facebook of the episode that I put up. That's cool, too. So the music in this episode is by a fellow who probably doesn't have relatives who once lived in a ghost town, but you never know, Kevin McLeod. What if, like, he ever listens to this one day and is like, what are all these crazy things this woman says about me? <laughs> I'm not even saying his name right, I bet. Well, whatever. You can only hope. Right. It's if you're fine. out there, Kevin, thank you. As always, take care of yourself. Look after yourself. Don't sip too many dire drinks or follow any cloaked figures down trails you don't know. Right? Yeah, right. That's, yeah, no. So thanks for listening, and I'll see you in the next one. Bye. Bye.